The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome, friend. Glad to see you back to the land of weeping willows, wailing loons, and billowing methane. Not to mention these things. You know, alligators are smarter than people give them credit for. Just the other day, I told Chester to shoo, so he goes ahead and yanks the boot right off my foot. Smartass. Yeah, well, I hope you enjoyed that steel toe on its way out, you scaly prick. Uh, have yourself a seat. I'll just be a second. Mmm. Oh, that's better. Remember to kill your cigarettes before they kill you, friend. No one wants to die with half a pack left. And the same goes for this. <sighs> Whew. You know, regular whiskey's supposed to put hair on your chest. This stuff, though, this'll fill in the patchy areas. So smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Because old Drew Blood has two tales to tell. This is Season 1, Episode 20 of Drew Blood. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. To enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. And hey, we're accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Remember, if it doesn't say Drew Blood, it's not the real thing. And tonight, we've got two tales from our very own N.M. Brown, Chief Operations Manager for Killing Tales for Dark Nights. Now, I've never met any of these chiefs, and God knows what kind of operations they're having. But there's sure a lot to manage around here, and Natalie does a damn good job at it, all while writing some pretty damn dark tales. These two stories hinge on the precarious scale of parenthood, where the highs are extra high and the lows are stuff of nightmares. So, put the kids to bed while you still can. And so, from author N.M. Brown, I give you Roadside Memorial. You know those people who you tell the time of events to 15 minutes early because you know they'll be late? The people who would be late to their own funerals, as the saying goes. Well, that's me. Prepare as I might, I can never seem to get anywhere on time. It's the most frustrating trade ever, but yet it's absolutely always my fault. It hasn't always been this way. Before I had my daughter Bryn, almost nine months ago, I was one of those people who took punctuality very seriously. The kind of guy who looked at the traffic flow on his phone and made sure to get gas the day before. I even set my oven clock five minutes fast so there would always be a five minute advantage. I was prepared for most obstacles. However, what I couldn't prepare for was the unpredictability of Bren. Her needs and moods varied like all babies do. There was no rhyme or reason to her play. She did what she wanted when she wanted, no matter if it made sense or not. It was like she was saying, No, Dad, I will lay here and eat my food for exactly 1 minute and 27 seconds. If you attempt to remove it before the time passes, you will be met with total non-cooperation, not to mention the crying and flailing of limbs. We had a good enough routine before her mother left us about three months ago. I'm ashamed to admit I threw away the outfit our daughter was wearing the day she left. Over the preceding week, she had been donating a lot of her things to Goodwill. Supposedly it was to make room for more in our closet. 
My wife said she was trying to be less materialistic for the new year. It turns out she'd been moving her things to another house. Newfound parenthood hadn't been going well for us. I told her to take a night out with the friends while I spent one-on-one -on -one time with Bryn. When I kissed her goodbye that night, I had no idea she'd never be coming back. Since then, the baby and I have just tried to make the best of our situation and establish new routines for both Bryn and myself. These are the thoughts running through my head as I rush to Bryn's nine-month doctor checkup. We are early for once, set and out the door. Then, naturally, she pokes the nipple through her bottle and pours it all over herself. So, we go back to the house, clean her up, and repeat the process. It's 9.19 and her appointment is at 9.30. It will easily take 20 minutes to get there and that's with cooperative traffic. I'm not going to super speed or lane weave just to be on time. We will just have to be a little late. Again, as usual. We're almost there. There are only about five miles left. I start to allow myself to relax my shoulders a little when Bryn starts wailing. Ah, oh, Christ, not again. Not now, I think to myself, figuring she'd poke through her bottle again. You can't take a dirty baby to the doctor ever, but mostly not for a checkup. It just doesn't look right. It isn't right. The pitch and repetition of her screaming is making my head feel like a kettle that's about to boil. Before it reached its crescendo of shrill whistling, I pulled over. If I knew then what I know now, I would have never stopped or would have pulled into the nearest gas station. Anything other than where I choose to stop at. I pull over and get out of the car and open the door of the back seat. There she is, snotty and red-faced. Her blonde curls are sticking to her face with the sweat of frustration. My little sweetheart, she looks just like her mother when she cries. It makes me sad, but I can't think about that now. She knew what she was doing when she left us. No sense in keeping her ghost around, especially in my own head. We pulled over next to a little roadside memorial. A slightly worn but still pretty silver and pink cross is placed there with flowers withered by the hands of time and various other trinkets of memorial. The name on the cross reads Emily Semple. It looks to be a child's. That makes me sadder to think about than when I think about my wife. It's something, at least, I thought. A temporary mental vacation into someone else's hell to be able to escape my own. I look her over and thankfully she hasn't spilled her bottle. Maybe we still have a chance of being somewhat on time. I hand her the bottle back, wipe her face, and kiss her forehead, thinking of if I show her love, it will help calm her down. As if she could read my mind, she threw her bottle and it bounces off my forehead and onto the floor. Great. I haven't realized how much of a shameful mess my car has become. Napkins, empty bottles, condiment wrappers, baby toys, and maybe even a french fry or two litter the seats and floorboards. In an effort to reach the bottle, I knock some things out of my car and onto the roadside. The wind starts to blow some of them into the road. So, not wanting to travel too far away from the car, I grab what I can and stuff the items back into the back seat on the floor to be cleaned or forgotten about at a later date. We make it to the doctor's office a whopping 20 minutes late. I sheepishly grin and apologize, hoping they can still see her, and I don't have to make another appointment to come back. The front desk lady's voices were understanding, but their eyes certainly had not been. Perhaps they softened when they saw me juggling a baby car seat with a very loud pink diaper bag falling over my shoulder repeatedly as I tried to continue to calm her down. Yes, she was still wailing away. A nurse with a worn face but kind eyes comes over to us. Now, now, little baby. What seems to be the matter? That face is too beautiful to be scrunched up screaming like that. Are you hungry? Do you want daddy to rock you? She turns a gaze to me with a smile. Why don't you take her out, daddy, and bounce her in your arms a bit? Some babies just hate to be in their car seats any longer than they have to be. 
I smile, thank her, and take her advice. Just as I get her out and sit down with her, the door opens. Michael Hollander and baby Bryn, we are ready to see you now. Come back to room four with the white and yellow clouds. I gather up all of our things and head back to the room. Bryn finally settles down and snuggles into my shoulder. Her thumb's in her mouth, so I knew all was well in Brynville. That's one of her happy places. Taking the thumb train to Brynville, her mom used to say. Two vaccinations and a few spoons of ice cream later, we pull back in the driveway, ready to recover from the whole ordeal. As I pull her out of the car seat, I notice a little pink elephant with a yellow star on its side. I pick it up and hand it to her as I take her in the house. She coos appreciatively and she grabs onto it. Hmm, I don't remember buying this for her. It probably came from her grandmother's house. She always dotes on her. Every time she's out and sees something babyish, she always gets it for her. It was just too cute and Mimi couldn't leave it there when Bryn would love it so much, she says. Rena, or Mimi as she proclaims herself, is Bryn's maternal grandmother. Since my wife left us, she's gone above and beyond to step up and be there. I think it makes her feel better about the whole situation, as if somehow she feels responsible for her daughter's selfishness and actions. My mother was long gone, and Rena is such a beautiful part of Bryn's life. I would never do anything to take that away from either of them. It's hard to find people you trust to help you, and it's become so hard to do on my own. I'm so thankful for every second with my baby, but I definitely wasn't expecting the razor on my own. That was never the plan. My phone rings. Speaking of, it's Rena calling. She had told me to call her after the appointment was over and I had forgotten. I quickly try to think of a somewhat acceptable excuse while I place Bryn in a crib. Coming up with nothing and mentally exhausted, I answer the phone. Hello? Hey, Michael. How did the baby girl's appointment go today? You know how I worry about our princess. She asked me. Uh, a couple shots and some tears. Nothing a little ice cream couldn't fix. She's in the 78th percentile for height and 74th for weight. And Doc says it's doing beautifully. I replied proudly. I can hear a subtle sigh of relief from her end of the phone. Good. I'm glad she's doing okay. Do you both have plans for today? There's a hopeful tone in her voice as she asks this. No, not really. I'm just going to get some cleaning done and maybe head out to the store later to fill up the freezer. She makes a subtle sound of disapproval. Mike, you can't take her out running around all over. She just got shots today and you don't know how she will handle them. Why don't you bring her over here for the day? That way you can do your shopping and clean the house in peace while we have Mimi and Bryn time. After the meltdown and outfit changes earlier, Mimi time does sound like a good idea. I would miss her, but I could get so much more done and maybe even take a nap. She will most likely sleep most of the day anyway, as she always does on shot days. I agree and tell her we'll be over in about half an hour. That gives me time to feed her lunch, pack her back up, and bring her over. I start up the car, turn the radio up a little, and head down the road. It's a beautiful day, and for once, I don't mind driving. It will all be worth it once I come home from Rena's. Besides, I get to spend the drive fantasizing about the forbidden daytime nap I get to take later. I stop at what seems to be the hundredth stoplight, even though it was really only the third. Tom Petty's velvet voice comes across the radio, so I reach down to turn up the volume even more. The light turns green and I start to accelerate, humming along and excited to get to her grandmother's house. Suddenly, I feel a shock powerful enough to move my whole car. A deafening screech of metal on metal grinds in my ears. It feels as though my teeth are broken and cutting my cheeks from the insides. The car flips once and twice. I feel my head bounce off the steering wheel. All I can think about is my back seat. The car comes to a stop on its hood. My body is burning with white-hot pain. 
Warm, thin blood runs into my eyes as I try to survey my surroundings and stay awake. What I initially thought were loose teeth was actually broken glass from my window. It cut the thin tissue of my chapped lips as I spit it through them. I must have gotten hit, possibly T-boned, I started to fear. My head swims and my eyes become heavy. The dust inside my car starts to float around me in slow motion, and I feel like a computer shutting down one application at a time. I'm trying to use all of my senses to help me. I hear nothing. There's no crying. No screaming. For the first time ever, I'm terrified at the sound of her silence. I managed to look back to one mirror fastened to the back seat that survived the crash. I see my little angel in the back seat upside down, firmly secured in her car seat, motionless. I could fool myself in the thinking she's sleeping, if not for her neck bent at an unnatural angle, and the blood that coats her entire car seat. The last thing I see before I lose consciousness is a little red-haired girl standing on the smoking road in front of my windshield. Her face is dirty and caked with dried blood. She's wearing what I guess must have been at one time a white dress with yellow daisies on it. Her broken finger points accusingly at me through the broken windshield. The hatred of her gaze is the last thing my mind registers as I began to fade away. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. My eyes shoot open with a startled breath as the phone rings. I strangely find myself at home in my chair. A mixture of relief, disbelief, and surrealism washes over me as I take in my current reality. I jolt to a standing position and run to my mirror, examining my head where it hit the steering wheel. There's nothing. No pain. No bruises or cuts. Nothing. Confused but hopeful. I ran to Bryn's room, thankful to see that she's sleeping peacefully in her crib. Either I'm losing my mind, or that was the most realistic dream I have ever had. I rush to her, not even caring if I wake her up. She wakes up and is smiling at me. Her little hands drop something as I lift her up. I look down to see the little pink elephant with the yellow star. I must have fallen asleep after her appointment today. The phone rings again and startles me. My heart springs to life thinking it might be my wife. Maybe her mom is calling to check on her and to say she misses us. My heart springs to life in hopes that she was calling to tell me she had lost her mind and wants to come back. I look at my phone and sadly realize it's Rena. I don't answer and let it go to voicemail. I'm still shaken up from that experience and need to get my shit together. 
There is no way she won't hear it in my voice and ask questions. I will call her later. My phone then buzzes with a text message. It's Rena, not wanting to take silence for an answer. And it says, Hey Michael, just calling to check on Bryn's doctor appointment today. If you don't have anything going on, please bring her over. I would love to spend the day with her. Talk to you soon. Well, I am definitely not going to be driving anywhere after what happened earlier. It will be a miracle if I don't see that image every time I close my eyes for the next five years. I'm not about to turn a foreboding dream into reality. So I decided that Bryn and I will have a much needed lazy day. I turn on some Netflix for me and the kiddo. I pop some popcorn for myself and sit down next to her on the couch. I let her snuggle into me and we settled in like that for a while. Halfway through devouring my popcorn bowl, she starts to eye it. She would look from me to the bowl and then back again. I withdraw it from her reach and tell her no softly. She lets out an irritated grunt and furrows her brow, once again looking towards my bowl. Smiling at her spunk and at this point just thankful to have her breathing and alive, I let her have a piece. I walk into the bathroom, satisfied that she's at peace in one spot for once. I'm only in there for one minute, two at most. The living room is silent and my sweet Bryn is on the floor, looking under the couch with her butt in the air. I wait back a moment to see what she's doing, figuring she will pull some lost treasure out from there and try to eat it. But to my horror, she doesn't move. My heart drops as the air around me dissipates. I walk over to her as I call out to her. You spilled Dada's popcorn, monkey butt. Did you find something good under there? She doesn't respond, doesn't move, doesn't breathe. My heart drops as I rush to her. I pick her up and roll her over as fast as I can without hurting her. She flops over on her back like a limp doll and her face is blue. I look over to the tipped over popcorn bowl, devastated at how stupid I was. I try everything I've ever read about babies and choking. I turned her upside down and hit her back. I try to put my fingers down her throat to remove the obstruction. There is nothing, nothing that I can do. It's just me, her lifeless body, and the pink elephant at her feet. Tears sting my eyes as regret stabs my heart with a barbed blade. I moan and scream in agony as I struggle with my cell phone to call 911. My head spins as I start to lose my breath. I look out of my window and again I see the little girl wearing the dress with daisies, outside and down the street staring in the direction of my house. Things tilt sideways as the ground rushes up to meet me. I fade away. I wake up again to my phone ringing and once again I let it go to voicemail. My heart is beating so fast that I can hardly catch my breath. I am very much still in the situation my mind was just put in. No surprise, it's Rena again. Or maybe for the first time. I'm not even sure at this point, honestly. I can't think straight. I have seen things no parent should ever have to see. The baby that I fought through so much heartache to stay strong for is taken from me again and again. Who is that little girl in the dress? Why is this happening to us? Once again, I rush to Bryn's room. I'm all too pleased to see that she's there sleeping, holding the pink elephant in her hand. I take it away and set it off to the side. She wakes up, her sleepy eyes sparkling, and smiles at me. I bend down, reaching out to touch her as she reaches her hand up to me slowly falling back to sleep. I let the hell we've been stuck in this week to melt away, soaking up her smile. Whatever is going on, whatever hell I was stuck in right now, we were here. Right now, we are very much alive and okay. Today, we won't do anything. There will be no car trips, no popcorn, no toys in their crib, and no anything that can hurt my little girl. 
It's my only job in life to protect her, and I'll die trying. The same text message appears from Marina as before, and I decide to call her back. I try to sound as calm as I can, mentioning the same details about the doctor's appointment. This time, however, I declined the offer to come over, decide not to tell her about the horrifying events of the day. If I doubt my own sanity at this point, why shouldn't she? After catching up for a bit, we arrange for me to drop Brynn off the next Sunday and she asks, What is Mimi's baby girl doing right now? I reply, She's asleep in her bed holding on to that elephant. Hey, you have no idea how much she loves that. Where'd you find it? There's a pause. Michael, I never gave her any elephant toy. I would have remembered. I make an excuse about Bryn waking up and hang up the phone, feeling dazed. I go to my sweet Bryn. I've decided that I will take her into my room and put her in bed with me all day, where nothing can hurt us. We just have to make it through the day and this nightmare will be over. I approach my baby's crib and she is still there. Only now she lays silent, not moving, not breathing. The silken skin on her arms is cold to the touch. Not again. Not again. Although at this point I've seen this far too many times than I'm comfortable with, the fear is always embedded in the back of my mind that this may be the last time. Maybe this time I'll pass out and wake up and my little girl will still be gone. I frantically look around the room for something to hit myself with. Anything to make me pass out so we can begin this again. So I can have my Bryn again. I lost her mother, which still haunts me to this day. I cannot and will not lose her too. Where she goes, I go. She's my only light left in this world. It turns out I don't have to find anything. I feel my breath slow and the room tilt. The little girl in the dress's angry eyes follow me all the way to the floor. The more I see her, the more translucent and decomposed her form appears. My worst fear is that by the time there's nothing left, Bryn's chances will run out. I can't let that happen. The phone rings. I wake up and ignore the call. You know the drill. I run to my daughter and wake her up as gently as I can. Only one thing matters today, the only thing that can fix this. We unintentionally disturbed Emily's resting place. The only chance that we have is to return this to where it came from. I stumble my way to the car with her and hastily strap her into her car seat. We take off in the direction of her doctor's office. I just pray I can get there in time with no red lights and no accidents. I see the pink and silver cross and immediately pull over. The contents of my stomach emptying themselves down the side of my car as I rush out of it. I open the back door and grab the elephant from Bryn's little hands. Her eyes go big and her lips puff out with the threat of oncoming tears. That doesn't matter now though, I have what I need. As it leaves her hands, it starts raining. I look to the sky, torrents of droplets stabbing at my eyes, and scream out, I'm sorry, Emily! We didn't mean to steal it from you! Please leave my baby alone! I never meant to take it! She deserves to live! There are tears falling from my eyes, and spit is flying from my lips. Please! With my free hand raised in surrender, I gently place the elephant next to the cross and back away. It may just be my head, but I swear the air feels lighter, giving me the refreshment of promise. I hope to God that I did the right thing. Bryn and I just need to make it through one whole day. Sleep isn't kind to me as the show 1000 Ways to Die plays continuously throughout my mind like a movie screen. Only my daughter's the only cast member and star in role. Each and every time. A couple of years go by with Bryn growing into a healthy toddler with little to no signs of danger. 
Her hair has turned into an amber color over the changing seasons. It pains me more and more to see her grow into a physical carbon copy of her mother, but I'm ever so thankful to have each and every day with her. The events of the last few years have taught me never to take her for granted. Every stumble, laugh, toy and smile is a natural gift from God. Her words are coming more often and with less time in between. However, I've been having the hardest time getting her to say her name. She mumbles something each time that I do, and whatever the word is sounds nothing like my daughter's name. The worst thing is, the word that she's saying sounds an awful lot like the name. Emily. And that was Roadside Memorial by N.M. Brown. A good reminder that an elephant never forgets. And while we all like stealing bouquets from fresh gravesites to give to our girlfriends, you gotta think sometimes, is it any wonder at all these relationships become nightmares? Try some class next time, huh? Spring for the gas station roses. For our second story, we join Jake, a husband and father whose superstitions really get the better of them. Again, from author N.M. Brown, I give you Cricket's Curse. The carpet smells of decay and mud as I flatten my face against the floor in an attempt to hide under our queen-sized bed. An incessant banging at the door resonates through my brain feeling like I'm being impaled with an iron spike. Each knock slams it deeper into my throbbing temples. Mr. Hutchison, are you home? A voice inquires, yelling through the mail slot. I recognize it as my son's second grade teacher, Mrs. Mason. Dread grips my heart in cold gray hands as I remember not closing the shade to the kid's bedroom window. I wonder if she could see the red paint in the walls turning brown over time with oxygenation. Undoubtedly, I decide. Joseph hasn't been to school for three days now. We've been trying to call you. Is everything all right? Mrs. House says Courtney hasn't been in either. Truancy is a very severe issue in our district. I know I don't have to tell you that, Mr. Hutchinson. Please contact us immediately. Although irritating, the tone of her voice makes me thankful that she was Joseph's teacher. She spoke with the perfect combination of care and assertiveness which was difficult to do. I wonder if she spoke to her husband and colleagues the way she talked to me just now like a child reminded to put their shoes away after coming in from play. Mrs. Howe was our daughter's fourth grade teacher. A memory flashes through my mind's eye of my wife, Michelle, grabbing my hand as we left the kids' school. We had just walked out of the double doors, tunneling through swarms of parents as everyone tried to get to the parking lot. It was meet the teacher day. Michelle grabbed me, eyes alight with the prospect of a happy future for our kids. Oh my God, Jake, I love her. She beamed, relaxing her head against my chest. I hope Joseph has her for fourth grade. My wife brought up a hand lovingly to my face as we watched our kids. Courtney giggled with her friends as Joseph searched the flower beds for grasshoppers. Not that any of it matters now. Before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to explain. My family means more to me than anything else in life. That's exactly... Well, I had to do what I did. To protect them. It started when something crunched under my foot, leaving a smattering of legs, antenna, and white goo left behind in its wake. You see, cockroaches, spiders, and other bugs, safe for ticks and female mosquitoes, left behind black or white sludge. I questioned whether or not their bodies contained red blood as ours did. Maybe there was just too little of it to see with the plain human eye. Our son Joseph loved insects, grasshoppers especially. He must have brought one inside despite Michelle and I's many lectures about not bringing any bugs home. 
He could touch them if they were safe, but he must always put them back where he found them. It disgusted my wife terribly. But kids will be kids. As long as he wasn't hurting anything, I figure what was the harm. Horror takes hold of my senses as I realize what type of insect it is that I've just killed. Not a grasshopper, but a cricket. My grandmother's words rained through my ears at a deafening volume. Never kill a cricket in your house, lest your family member meet the same fate. My breath hitched as I wrapped a wrinkled tissue around what was left of the creature to clean it off the floor. I remember feeling stupid for being frightened. I mean, it's not like I did it on purpose. Michelle and the kids visited her parents who lived about three hours away. They left early that morning and planned to be back by the end of the day. I took the opportunity to stay behind and make some repairs around the house. It was a lot easier and faster to get things done without little ones underfoot and Michelle asking how much longer I was going to be every 10 minutes. My hammer wasn't in its usual spot in the hall closet, causing me to have to drop what I was doing and travel out to my shed. Years of laziness and neglect led to the dilapidated state it was in now. Michelle called it a forgotten wasteland, filled corner to corner with a menagerie of castor-side items. The latest symptom of its failing form was the nickel-sized hole in the rear left corner of the roof that, as luck would have it, just so happened to be directly above where I'd placed my old toolbox. Rusted metal hinges creaked under the weight of the contents of the plastic box. I groaned as traces of water began to slosh out of the sides with each footstep towards the porch. I'd be lucky if anything in here was salvageable. There had to be at least $200 worth of tools, if not more. A sea of black greeted me as I bent down and opened up the lid. It was a chirping, skittering swarm of crickets. Millions of hairs on hundreds of sets of legs rubbed in unison as their antenna twitched with feverish anticipation. Cacophonies of chirps echoed through the late afternoon air as they exploded out of my toolbox. My arms swung frantically as they tried to invade my eyes, nostrils, and ears. I would have screamed if I hadn't been so afraid to expose my open mouth. Tiny drops of rain had started to fall. I dashed in the house, leaving the rusted tools to be discarded once more for life's unexpected plans. Pieces of clothing were torn off one by one on my way to the bathroom, my arms still swatting at imaginary prickles on my twitching skin. Freshly showered and cricket-free, I poured myself the largest tumbler of whiskey that I could find. I'd done enough for one day. The shelving in the kitchen had needed to be fixed for over ten months now. What's one or two more in the grand scheme of things, right? Television has always been an ultimate source of comfort for me. I turned it on and flipped through the channel, sipping my drink with annoyance at how late it was getting. It didn't do any good to get dinner started until I knew my wife and children were on their way. Michelle hadn't called, so I assumed she hadn't left her parents yet, and it was doubtful she would pick up something to eat on the way. Takeout was a luxury we could rarely afford. I nodded off in my chair, slightly drowsy from the day's mental efforts and lulled to sleep by the rain. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My impatience quickly morphed into alarming concern as my eyes snapped open. The sky was pitch dark outside of our living room window. According to my phone, it was almost midnight. My family was supposed to be home hours ago. Calling my wife's phone was no use. I was instantly greeted with a full voicemail message each time I tried. When I called Michelle's parents, they awakened with a start and told me she had left hours ago, but not to worry. She likely pulled over due to the storm. I looked outside, noting it was barely even raining anymore. Again, my late grandmother's voice bellowed through my subconscious. Never kill a cricket in your house, lest your family member meet the same fate. It couldn't be. That's just an old schoolyard rhyme. The step on the crack break your mother's back of my grandmother's generation. I thought back to the other superstitions I'd encountered over the years and shuddered at their accuracy. I walked under a ladder the day my dog Rocco was killed on the road. I was playing baseball outside and threw the ball through the living room window one time. It shattered my mother's front mirror. Later that evening, my father was involved in a head-on collision on his way home from work. He survived, but devastating medical bills haunted our family that took seven years to pay off. The mental dam of my rationale began to crumble letting streams of doubt and intrusive thoughts trickle in one by one. Just as the bands of hope holding me together were about to snap, the glow of headlights illuminated my living room from the front drive. Courtney burst through the front door in a distracted rush. Gotta pee! She announced as she zipped past me into the dark house. Michelle trailed slowly behind her, holding a sleeping Joseph in her arms. She looked weary, stressed even. Aggressive whispers left her lips, ordering Courtney to be quiet so she wouldn't wake her brother up. Hey, babe, love you. Get a juice cup ready in case he wakes up, okay? She asked, planting an exhausting kiss on my cheek on the way to our son's room. The moment he was settled, she leapt into my arms. I'm so sorry we were late. There was a terrible accident in front of us on the way home. My phone died and the charger cord I brought wasn't working. The other vehicle missed us by inches. It was a miracle we managed to avoid getting hit. I hugged her back tightly, thankful to have my wife and children home safe. That's why we were so late. She continued, her voice growing thick with emotion. We stopped to give statements to the police. The driver of the car ahead of us didn't make it. Jake, we could have been... She didn't finish her sentence, just collapsed into my arms in a heap of tears, overwhelmed with exhaustion from the day's events. I offered her the rest of my whiskey and rubbed her back as she gulped it down. A debilitating nightmare tortured me in my sleep, the kind that stays with your soul long after you've awakened. I remember entering the house alone in the middle of the night. Our living room was a sensory deprivation chamber of foreboding, black, and soundless. I stumbled blindly through my home, hands outstretched, desperately searching for something familiar. A single beam of light appeared under our children's bedroom door. I used that light as a beacon and made my way forward towards the light, towards hope, towards... 
My family. A siren of chirps consumed the silent atmosphere the moment I opened their door. My wife and two children lay on the floor before me, slaughtered. Their lifeless bodies were bent at unnatural angles, eyes wide and shocked thousand-yard stares. Each mouth hung gaped open as crickets entered and exited them. All three sets of eyes rolled towards me as I started to scream. Their jaws began to open and close with each resounding chirp, still teeming with crickets. <laughs> I awoke with a start, sitting straight up in bed as I gasped for air. Michelle lay beside me, sleeping peacefully, blissfully unaware of the horrors my mind had just witnessed. The hem of her nightgown jittered and danced in the still breezeless room. It wasn't until she absentmindedly slapped her leg that I saw a tiny black head appear from underneath. The cricket scattered over her skin, making its way over to me as I jumped out of our bed. Jake, what's wrong? She mumbled groggily, rubbing the sleep from her golden eyes. There's a damn cricket in the bed. It was trying to get fresh with you under your nightgown, I feebly joked through clenched teeth. To my utter revulsion, she simply plucked it off the bed, smashed it between her fingers and threw it across the room, wiping her hand clean on the side of the bed sheet. I didn't need to hear my grandmother's voice haunting me this time. I automatically said the words to myself internally. That's two now, dead. Sure, I may have killed some from the toolbox earlier, but that was outside the home. A morbid thought flew in through the window at my temporal lobe, clinging to the walls and spreading throughout my senses. Which one of my family members was I going to lose? Who would get to live and who would die? Seeing as I was already awake, I decided to get up and check on Joseph and Courtney in their rooms. Their faces looked so angelic so peaceful as I watched them sleep. I couldn't imagine one of them growing up without the other. Couldn't imagine my life without either of them. I'd gladly sacrifice myself if I thought it would save them. Favoritism doesn't exist when it comes to losing a family member. As I began to close the door, the sharp staccato of a cricket's chirp pricked the periphery of my hearing. When I swung the door open again, there was nothing but an eerie silence. I shook the rotted roots of death from my mind in an attempt to snap out of my macabre mental state. The rest of my sleep was restless but uneventful. When I woke up the kids the following day, I hesitated before opening their door. My ear pressed firmly against it as I listened for a cricket call. After a few moments of silence, I entered their room. Courtney woke up right away, but Joseph didn't respond as I called his name. He laid with his back to me, his little face pressed deeply into the upper corner of his mattress. Yo, Joe, I said to him, shaking his shoulders gently. You gotta get up, bud. It's time to get ready for school. His skin was overwhelmingly warm, a humid space heater just like his mother. It was hard to cuddle her at night in the summer months because her body radiated heat when she slept. I smiled, thinking about that. Everyone says both of our kids look like me, but their personalities and habits are all in the shells. I rolled him over to wake him, falling to my knees in terror at what I saw. My mouth filled with saliva as it ready to empty the contents of my stomach. The skin on my arms was riddled with goosebumps, making me painfully aware of every hair. Joseph's mouth hung open in a silent scream as insects scurried in and out of his mouth. A baby cricket left his upper lip, making a pathway for his left nostril. And that's when I lost it. The kids were huddled together on Courtney's bed, crying in terror. Michelle found me crouched on the floor, screaming. My own two hands had shredded the sheets of Joseph's mattress. Their screams pulled me from my wicked dream 
and I flew to my feet, instantly running to my son. I checked his eyes, ears, nose, and mouth for any sign of foreign object or parasite. Thankfully, there was none. I'm so sorry, buddy, I said quietly, trying to ease his fear. Daddy fell asleep on your floor and had a bad dream. I'm okay. Come here, Courtney. My little girl ran into my arms, drying her tears on my shirt sleeve. Now my eyeshadow is going to be ruined, she whined. Eyeshadow? I looked at my wife incredulously. When did my little girl get so big? The wry smile on her face let me know that this was something that had been going on for a while now. Go eat breakfast, kids. Then brush your teeth and get dressed, she instructed. They both ran to the kitchen to follow her request. What the hell was that about, Jake? Are you all right? Her golden eyes were wide with concern as she grabbed my face. Yeah, I'm sorry. I must have been sleepwalking and dreamt I saw a bug in Joe's bed. I ran a hand through my hair and tried to muster the most sheepish expression I could manage. I didn't want her to think I was batshit crazy, though I certainly felt that way. I drove to work in a haze, only subconsciously aware of what I was doing with my mind a million miles away. It seemed to take a third of the usual time to get to work. The air outside was thick and hot. I cringed as a grasshopper hopped across the pathway ahead. For Christ's sake, Jake, it's just a bug, I chastised myself. My supervisor grabbed me towards the end of my shift, telling me I had an important telephone call. Hello, I answered. Jake, my wife sobbed. There was a school bus accident. No one would tell us anything officially, but I heard someone say the number 163. Some of the kids got hurt. Uh, all right, honey, calm down and pray. Even if it's not our kids' bus, you need to pray. Call the school again. Keep calling until you get through. The number for the bus depot is in the black address book on my nightstand. I'm leaving work now, okay? I'll be right there, I assured her before hanging up the phone. When I turned down our street, I saw two vans in front of my house. The top of Michelle's head was visible above the second vehicle, and it was evident that she was crying. Horror gripped my heart and slowed to an almost lethal level by the thought of losing our children. Relieved tears filled my eyes unexpectedly as she came into my unobstructed view. Courtney and Joseph stood, their faces pinned to her chest as she held them close. Each wore a confused and annoyed expression on their face. It wasn't their bus, she called out to me as soon as she saw my truck. That night we ordered pizza, ate ice cream, and watched a family movie. We all lavished the time spent together, healthy and alive. More nightmares plagued me throughout the next week, all scenes of the death of one of my family members. Sometimes it was Joseph, sometimes Courtney. Michelle was always a constant victim. I saw her death in many scenarios, each more horrifying than the last. My family was cast in their own roles in the Final Destination movie inside my head, and they had no idea. My family was dying every single second of every single day, and I felt powerless to stop it. After three weeks of torture, medications, and meditation and alcohol, I was blessed with an epiphany. I would destroy the bastards one furry leg at a time. I did have the power to stop it. In fact, I was the only one with the ability to save my family from the threat they couldn't seem to hear or see. Constantly chirping, taunting, they lured me from a sound sleep. One night I couldn't take it anymore. The whiskey was warm as it trickled down my welcoming throat, turning into a steel resolve once it hit my empty stomach. Tonight was the night I put an end to this, once and for all. 
I'd kept a flask water by the bedside table in case any more of the fuckers decided to molest my wife. My hands closed around it. Knuckles white with resolve as the chirp of a cricket reverberated through the dead of night. I charged through my kid's bedroom door in a drunken stupor. A spatter of goo flew across the wall, signaled by the first cricket's call as I decimated it with my flyswatter. Another echoed through my brain as one fell to the floor in eternal slumber, never to be harmed by bad luck or superstitions again. The third brought a barrage of blows as my grandmother's voice echoed through my eardrums. Never kill a cricket in your house, lest your family member meet the same fate. By the fourth chirp, it was all over. I was the only one left. Blood was everywhere. As I looked at the fly swatter in my hand, I realized it wasn't a swatter at all, but a, a bloodied hammer. <laughs> there were no crickets, only bodies. I was alone to face the reality of what I'd done. What I thought I had to do? That brings us to the present. The void. The sheer emptiness of silence haunts me. There's been complete silence since they've all been gone. I suppose eventually there will be the buzzing of flies. Though I won't be around to hear it. The addition of my body to this massacre may very well be the one that attracts them like buzzards to roadkill. Guilt gnaws at my insides as my bloodied hands gather every prescription bottle that I can find. It doesn't seem fair that I get to peacefully fade into death when my family met such a violent end. My ultimate plan is to join them. A metallic bitter taste coats my tongue as I fill my mouth with pills. Making sure to thank God for all the good I've done and the devil for all the fun I've had. I know the weight of my actions will weigh against my damn soul when the time comes, and that's okay. Wherever I end up, I could rest easy knowing I did everything in my power to protect my family. Nothing bad can ever befall any of them again. And that was Cricket's Curse by N.M. Brown. Talk about going buttshit crazy. Now, I've always heard it was good luck to hear a cricket in the house. Hmm. In any case, let's all remember to keep the hammers put away. We shape our tools, they say, and then our tools shape us. Ouch. A little about the author. N.M. Brown is a Florida native, wife and mother of three, who reads about chasing away monsters to her kids at bedtime before writing them down to get them out of her head. She is also the chief operations manager for our very own Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights Network. Her written work appears in over 40 horror anthologies, all of which are available on Amazon. Check her out, won't you? And while you're at it, do something for your pal Drew, will you? Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a five-star review and a kind word. Every one of these makes a big difference, and I'd really appreciate it, even if you're listening on YouTube. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating all the way back to 2012 including past episodes of this program and all our other shows and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there. 
where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Instagram. And don't forget to submit those stories to us if you want to hear them on this show. Just send them to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. I'm talking 35 Ugandan shillings per word. And the publicity? (laughs) You'll be more famous than that Kamala guy. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. Normally, I'd offer you a drink for the road, but after Roadside Memorial, it seems a little distasteful. Hmm. Then again, Cricket's Curse kind of makes me want to get hammered. Maybe just one or two. So until next week, may the wind be at your back. May the road rise up to meet you. And remember, friends, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Order those flowers in advance if you can. But if not, well, you know where to find them. And Natalie, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the stories tonight and all the hard work you do. Now go fuck yourself. You too, Jeff. (laughs) Good night, y'all. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.